Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. This morning, turn with me. Uh, Let's start in Colossians chapter Four, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. I told you verse 1, but I'm going to start in verse 2 if that's all right. Colossians 4 and verse 2. Thankful for the presence of the Lord that we felt this week for what God has done. The strongholds God has broken for the walls he's taken down. We're very thankful for that. The Bible says in Colossians 4 and 2, it says, Continue in prayer. And watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom. Toward them that are without. Redeeming the time. Everybody say redeeming the time. time. Ephesians 5 and 16, I simply read that verse to you. It says redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Paul writes the Colossians and he tells them to redeem the time, but he tells them to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom and redeem the time. I want to talk to you, if I can, for the next few minutes. Uh, I haven't eaten breakfast, so we're going to be on on hungry time today, okay? Be on. Uh, but I want to talk to you on this subject, uh, uh, unredeemed time. Unredeemed time. Now, I understand that I'll probably get yelled at by my wife about this, but I I know that when the preaching starts, everybody has kidney spasms. You have to run to the bathroom. So if you have to do that, just just give me a few minutes. Because if you miss the beginning of this, uh, you're probably not going to understand what's going on. And you'll probably be mad at me before the day's over. So just just stick with me for a minute, okay? Just, just stick with me. Unredeemed time. Why don't we lift our hands and ask the Holy Ghost to speak to us. God, we thank you. We love you, Lord. I need you today. I need you. Touch my mind and touch my spirit. Lord, I'll give you all the praise. We want to just humble ourselves before you, God. Help me touch my mind. Let my lips be anointed by your word. And I pray that you could speak to us, God. Speak to us, God. Speak to us, God. Speak to us, God. Speak to the very depths of our spirit this morning, God. Speak to the very depths of our heart. Let no soul go untouched. Let no soul go unspoken to. But, Lord, speak to every one of us in a very, very, very special way. Lord, in a very special way. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Shake your neighbor's hand. Tell them unredeemed time. Unredeemed time. In in 1845, the writer Fyodor 
Dostoevsky burst on the scene with his first novel called Poor Folk. At the age of 24, he shook the Russian literary world. He was the toast of St. Petersburg. And he had everything that he wanted. But something about that early fame, Dostoevsky would say, made him feel empty. So he drifted onto the fringes. He drifted into left-wing politics. He began attending meetings of various socialist radical groups. One centered uh, along the teachings of Mikhail Petrovsky. And after joining this movement, the, the radical movements began to spring up all over Russia. And three years later, when they were talking of a peasant revolt in one of the homes, they, they had no idea that, that the czar has sent agents undercover to infiltrate these groups. And Dostoevsky, being an adamant supporter on April 23rd of 1849, and is arrested with him and 23 members of this group. He goes from being one of the most prominent men in all of St. Petersburg to being arrested and thrown into prison, charged with trying to overthrow the government. After eight months of languishing in jail, the prisoners are awakened one cold morning and told that today they would receive their sentencing. A few months in exile was the usual punishment for their crime, but, and soon their ordeal would be over. We'll, we'll take our few months and this will all be over and we'll go back to our normal life. But on that cold morning, they bundled them in carriages and they drove them through the icy streets of St. Petersburg. And when they emerged from their carriages, they emerged on, emerged, uh, on Simeonovsky Square and they were greeted by a priest. Behind them, they could see ro rows of soldiers. And then behind the soldiers were thousands of spectators. When they looked, they were led to a scaffolding with black cloth and in front of that black cloth were three posts. And when they pulled them out, they began to line them up side by side. And beside those three posts, were carts with coffins in them. 24 coffins. Dostoevsky was shocked and he looked at his neighbor and he said, you can't possibly be serious. They can't mean to execute us. They can't do this to us. And, and, and all of the prisoners were so taken back that they were in silence. They were taken and put into two lines and on that extremely cold day, the prisoners still in their spring clothes that they were arrested in are lined up and as the drum roll sounds, an officer comes forth and he reads their charges. You've all been accused and you are guilty in an attempt to overthrow the national order. Therefore, you are condemned to death by firing line. The prisoners are too stunned to speak and as the officers begin to say their names and personally read them their sentences, Doskoovsi finds himself looking out over uh, the, the pinnacle of a church in the distance. And in the distance he sees the sunlight bouncing off and it gleams throughout the city. But just as soon as that sunlight gleams, he recalls that a cloud came and covered it. And he thought in his mind that I'm about to pass into darkness just as quickly as that light did. 
Forever I will step into darkness, he said. But another thought come into his mind. He said, but if I do not die, if I am not killed, my life will suddenly seem forever endless. A wide eternity. Each minute a century. I will take account of every minute that passes and I will not waste a second of my life again. Prisoners were put into hooded shirts and the priests begin to read them their last rites and confessions. They begin to say their goodbyes one to another and the first three to be shot are tied to the post and the hoods pulled over and Dostoevsky watches as he is the next in line to be executed. As the soldiers raise their rifles and they take aim, suddenly, as if on cue, a carriage comes galloping into the square and a man comes out with a letter at the last second And he says, the czar has commuted your death sentences. You will not be sentenced to death today. You will not die on this day, but you will spend four years in hard labor in Siberia. And then you will take a stint in the army. Dostoevsky, he is unmarred by the new sentence of that day. It does not bother him at all that he will spend four years in Siberia and that he will do a stint in the army. He is overjoyed at this prospect of new life. And he writes a letter to his brother and he says, When I look back at the past and of all the time that I squandered in error and in idleness, then my heart bleeds. Life is a gift. Every minute could have been an eternity of happiness. He says, If youth only knew, now my life will change. And now I will be reborn. Doskovsky realized with this close encounter of death he had been awakened by that face to face with eternity to the fact that life is a vapor. The realization that we are not promised our next hour our next minute our next second or our next day, that if he was going to have a life, that if he was going to start a life, he was going to have to do it now. If he was going to be alive, he could not afford to waste one more second of his life. Every minute, he said, could have been an eternity of happiness. Life is too short to be mad. Life is too short to waste one second on unforgiveness. Life is too short to waste one second on anger. Life is too short to waste one second on being upset. Life is too short. Can I just tell you that there is not a lot of time left, and if we're ever going to do anything for God we've got to redeem the only time that we have I know this isn't going to be a popular message but I feel like I've heard from God Dostoevsky said I made a promise that day that I will live every second of my life and I will not waste it That commitment was put to the test for that very day. He is taken and 10-pound shackles are put on his hands and 10-pound shackles are put on his feet and they stay there for the next four years as he is taken into Siberia and he does hard labor in a prison. It was not the Martha's Vineyard prison. It wasn't the Martha Stewart prison. It was hard labor with 10-pound shackles on his hands and his feet. For four years, they refused to give him paper to write, but in those years, they 
say that he would write stories in his mind. He would recite them and he would remember them word for word. He would perfect them and memorize, memorize them. The cold and the bitter. The ten pounds of weight. The four years in prison. The no writing paper could not stop him from living out the dream that he said that he would live. He said I feel like I've been reborn and nothing is going to stop me. Can I just preach to you that the Bible says you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses in sin. I've come to tell you that if God has quickened you and if you've been made alive and you've been here to walk in newness of life then you ought to be glad that the Lord has caused you to be born again. That you've got more time. That you've been touched. That you've been blessed. If you've been born again of water and of spirit, then God has raised you back to life. And I don't know about anybody else, but I'm glad I'm free. I'm glad I'm free. I'm glad I'm alive. I'm glad that God has given me a fresh new life. Somebody ought to be glad about what God's done for you. Somebody ought to be glad. God could have left you lay there. God could have let the devil have his way with us. But he chose to quicken us. He chose to bring us to the church on Sunday morning. And he chose to save us. And I'm glad about it. I don't ever want to lose sight of what God has done for me. I never want to lose sight of what God has done for me, but like Doskowski, some of us in this room, now it's going to get real serious. The kids aren't here, okay? It's going to get real live. Everybody all right? Some of us have made commitments in our life, and we've said, God, if you feel me, God, if you save me, God, if you deliver me, God, if you get me out of this mess, then I'll do this. I'll live for you. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. I'll give this up. I wonder, I wonder how long that resolve lasts. I wonder how long that really lasts. I wonder if we have the resolve of a, of a Doskowski that if they put 10-pound weights on our hands and our feet and if they don't give us anything that we need out of it. You, you understand that it's easy to make promises. It's easy to make promises about what you're going to do for God. But what happens when the chains get on your hand? What happens in the darkness and the lonely nights of your life? What happens when you feel abandoned? What happens when you think God changed his mind about the situation? But the truth of it is we've changed our mind about it and said, God, I, I, I don't know if that's really. You, you understand, I still believe that if you tell God something and if you make a commitment, you ought to keep that commitment to God. And I need to talk to some people in this room. I know I'm talking to somebody in the Holy Ghost right now that you made a commitment and you told God that you would do it. God, if you do this for me, then I'm going to do it for you. God, if you do this for me, then I, and God does his part, but we forget our part. God, if you pull me out of this pit, I'll turn my life around. God, if you save me from this, I'll go into that ministry. I'll witness to this person. And God keeps his end of the bargain. But we've wasted our years and we've not done what we said we'd do. Uh -huh. 
We, we need to lift our hands and pray right now. Something's going to happen in this place. I, I, I'm just going to tell you, God is not upset about it. God's just reminding you that you made him a promise. God's reminding you that you told him you'd do it. God's reminding you that you told him, and now you've wasted time, and now you've wasted years just doing your own thing. And God's saying, I still remember the commitment you made to me. I still remember that you said, if I get out of this, I'm going to do this. God, if I get out, I'm going to make a, I'm gonna change, God. But you haven't changed. You haven't done what you've told God and God said I've just come to give you a friendly reminder that you made a commitment to me and I held up my end of the bargain and I'm waiting for you to hold up your end of it three times in the Bible the word redeem redeeming is used Two times it's concerning time. You look up the word redeem, it means to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good. So that zeal and well-doing are, as it were, the purchased money by which we make the time our own. He said... I'm going to redeem the time. I'm going to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity I have to do good. I'm going to tell you that it is a trick. Now, I'm going to preach to you. That was just getting us where we need to go, okay? I'm going to tell you it is a trick, and it is a trap of hell, and it is the spirit of the age to cause us to waste time. It is a constant wasting of time. I have never lived in such a day where there has been such a wasting of time. Uh, we live in an hour where convenience is all around us. We have quickness. We have speed. We have everything we want. We can have a dinner in 13 seconds. But we always say, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time for that. I don't have time to do that. No, the problem is we have caught on. And we have adopted the spirit of the age. And we have spent our lives wasting our time on things that do not matter when I went to the Philippines they're on a different uh, watch or clock it would seem they have to cook their food over an open fire if you're going to cook a pig or a chicken or, or anything, it's not like you can go to the supermarket and you just grab your chicken that someone's already prepared and, and, and filled full of steroids. and You can't do that there. You, you, uh, if you're going to buy something, if, if someone's already prepared it, you better get there early in the morning because they've prepared it and they've laid it out on the table in the open air and you better get to it before the flies get to it. They cook everything. And what takes us an hour or less to prepare, it would take them four to six hours at least. I decided on my second trip with Mason, on my first trip, I, we got a little bit of a layover for two days, so I got accustomed to the time. And so I was just sleeping at night and day. This time I didn't get accustomed. So I was up. At night, and, and then I would try to kind of get a nap during the day for a good while. My pastor, he told me on our way there, he said, I'm so wore out. I'm so wore out from pastoring. He said, I, I'm going I'm to try to get some rest. He slept for 18 hours straight. He went to bed and just slept. And, and they kept checking on him. The, the missionaries there, they kept checking on him. They said, uh, Toto said, my mother thinks he has died. Make sure he is breathing. So I kept checking on him. So this time, last time, I would go to bed. 
And by the time that I got up at 6 in the morning, 6, 5, 6 in the morning, they had already had prepared breakfast and chicken. And I thought, where'd they get? Oh, we've already been to the market. We've already been here. We've been. So this time I decided I'm going to stay up and see what happens. So I remember that, that night I, I couldn't sleep and I hear people talking. For one, there's a whole group of people that had come to the dedication. And there were probably about as many as are here now that had slept in the church that night. So they could be there for the next service. And I hear them talking talking through the night and then at about three in the morning I walk out there and I walk around the corner and there are two or three uh, big uh, cauldron type things and they got fire going at about two or three in the morning they've already begun to cook the food for the next day they've already begun that I'm like when do you people sleep and I don't ever see them do it uh, and, and, and I found out that to them that to them they've got a lot more time that they have to spend doing things but they always have have enough time to do the things they need to do. What would take us an hour, four to six for them at least, but, 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 but they do it and then they still have time for church and they still have time for their family and a trip that would take us two hours is going to be an all-day affair for them, but they do it because they don't waste time because all they have is time. The only thing that we can hold dear is time. We miss how important time is. And this wasting of time that's happening in North America is getting to be awful. It's getting to be worse as the Lord is approaching. He said redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now you got to understand what he's saying. What he's saying is that all through history the nights have been evil. But as the Lord approaches even the very days will be evil. Even the very uh, light will be evil. Light will, will, will not be able to stop the evilness that's happening in the world. People will do their unruly deeds in the daytime that they used to do in the nighttime. And the Lord said as my approaching comes, as my coming gets closer, the time is going to be harder to redeem. But I'm telling you, we need to redeem what time we have. And we need to give it to God. And we need to make sure that we're living our life the way that he wants us to. We won't pray for an hour. Now it's going to get hard. We won't pray for an hour. But we'll watch a show for two or three. I'm not preaching against anything. I'm trying to help us redeem time. If you would get a movie from before 1999 and you would look at it, there's a good chance that that movie is under two hours long. An hour, an hour and a half, tops. In 1997, when the blockbuster Titanic was released, people were in shock because it was three hours and 15 minutes long. I remember it. People were like, I can't believe this movie's that long. No one's going to sit in them, you know, watch a movie for three and three hours and 15 minutes. But if you would look today, most of our movies now, they push three hours. Because if he'll cause us to eat up more time and more time and more. I'm not telling you to live in a box and to not do anything with your life. I'm, telling, I'm asking you, where do you spend the majority of your time? Because even if we sat every day and watched a three-hour movie every day, just one, that would pale in comparison to the amount of time we spend on our phone. <clears throat> Studies have shown that the average amount of time spent 
on a smartphone is four hours and 40 minutes a day. Social media accounts take up two hours of our time. If you were to take a lifetime, a lifetime, five hours and four months are spent on social media. Seven years and eight months are spent on TV. Three years and five months on eating. One year and ten months on grooming. One year and three months on socializing. And six months on doing the laundry. But you know what we never have time for? Laundry. And if you would do the math of the five years. Now, now, I'm just trying to talk to some people that say, I never have the time. I'm reaching for people that say, well, I love to live for God and I love to come to church, but I don't have the time. Well, let me help you. If you would do the math and I didn't do it, someone else did it for me. But if you would do the five hours and four months that we would spend on social media, let me tell you what you could do with that time. You could fly to the moon and back 32 times. You could walk the Great Wall of China 3.5 times. You could climb Mount Everest 32 times. You could run 10,000 marathons in five, five years and four months in the time in your life that you will spend on just social media alone this is a study you could walk your dog 93,000 times and don't tell me we don't have time for things we need to set our time aside and we need to make sure that we're going the way God wants us to go it's not that we have no time it's that we are not redeeming the time that we do have we are wasting it and life is passing us by God, help us right now. Let's lift our hands and pray. There's a spirit of the Lord that's going to move in this place, and God is going to awaken our eyes to the time. What would you do? How would you live if you looked through every moment through the eyes of eternity? I need more time now. We don't need more time. The Tsar of Russia in order to teach these men a harsh lesson, he had the whole execution staged. The guards, the caskets, the priest, the pardons, the hooded shirts, the guns, the crowds, it was all an elaborate play. He said, I don't want to just teach them a lesson, I want to humble them and humiliate them. And for some of the men that day, it drove them insane. That nearness to death drove them insane, but it did something else to Dostoevsky. He said, I've been afflicted for years with a sense of wondering, feeling lost or not knowing what to do with my time. He was a sensitive man. He said, I literally felt the death deep in my bones that day. And he said, when the pardon came, it was a sense of rebirth for me. The effect was permanent. For the rest of his life, whenever he would begin to go astray, when his life would begin to go, he would bring himself back to that day. And it was a driving force in his life. I got another note, but I feel like just telling this story. It was last year, I believe. My, my sister... My wife's sister and her husband were driving. They had, they had just stopped at a stop sign. And for some reason, uh, Vicki wondered, why, Sean, why aren't you driving? Why is the stop sign? She looked over. 
and he was dead. He was not alive anymore. Her sister's an RN. She took him. She got him out of the car. She had her son call out, and she began to, to pump his chest and to do CPR. She began to do everything she could. He was dead. He was gone. She did it for, for probably 25 minutes until the, until the ambulance showed up. She kept doing CPR. They brought out the paddles, and they shocked him. And, and finally, his heart begins to beat again. And, and when they got to the hospital, the doctor came in and said, Who's the hero? Somebody saved his life. And, and my wife's sister, Vic, said it was me. She said, I kept on CPR, kept pushing. The doctor, after all the analysis, he had no brain damage. There was nothing that was wrong after this. He'd been dead for a while. She just kept pumping. There was no problem. And the doctor said, Sean, I want to tell you something. You've been smoking and you've been drinking your whole life. You've been doing that. He said, and we're going to put a pacemaker in that, that's going to help you. We're going to put a defibrillator, excuse me. And if you're, but I'm going to tell you that if you don't change your life, if you don't quit drinking, if you don't quit smoking, then you're going to die. This was just a, a big warning sign. You're not going to live anymore. More. And for months and months and months, for months, he was doing great. He was doing a good job. You, you see, that's the thing. When we hit these snags in life, it changes us for a moment. For a moment. For a moment it changes us. But, but just here, just, it's just been a year and a few months. And just here recently, because of some things that have happened in that life, he's back to drinking and he's back to doing all that other stuff. And it's like nothing even mattered. And Dostoevsky, he said, I can't let that happen. So when he would feel that urge come in to go back to that old life he has, here's what they said he would do. He said, what I would do, he said, is I would go to, to, the, to the lottery places or the casinos back in the 18th. And he said, I would spend every dime that I had. I would throw it all in there. He said, because poverty was something that would push me to do more than I did before. Poverty is the catalyst he would use because he said it was like another death. I would just die out. Everything would be gone. He said, and I'd make sure that I would keep pushing myself. I wouldn't lose it in the moment. The problem is we come into a moment of revival and we come into a moment of God and we have that moment of change and we have that moment where we're going to make a difference and we're going to do something. Something. But after a while, that fades away. But Dostoevsky said, I can't let that go. So it do. You know, I found in my life that when I begin to get complacent, I don't do that to myself. God does it to me. When I begin to get complacent, God strips everything away. And God makes issues and God makes problems so that he tries to pull me back to that place. But I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard to get back to that place once you have left it. It's hard to get back to that commitment. So what happens is we go through our life and we get ourselves hopefully to another revival. And then we feel the presence of God and we're renewed and reborn. And then we make another commitment. Hopefully that makes the change. But we never are solid in it. So we waste our time. And like Dostoevsky said, he said before all this he said I would look at a page I would write a sentence and then I would stare at that page for hours contemplating am I doing it right am I doing it wrong is this going to be good is this going to be bad what are people going to think see that's the issue we want to live for God but we're always worried about what somebody else is going to think about it so we sit there and we just let it roll over in our mind well I could do something but I don't know what they'd say I could live for God but I don't understand it but after that moment after the moment that he made the commitment and said my life's going to change he, the, 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 the writer said that Dostoevsky he said at that point I did not care he said I wrote with every fervor that I had he said I wrote and wrote and men said they would see him walking down the street and he would be talking in character and he would be writing and never a day went by that he changed back to that old way of well I don't know if I can or if I don't know if I can I'm telling you if God is on your side and he's given you a promise you can do it you can make it you can witness you can 
win the loss. You can be saved, but you've got to make up your mind that you're not going to waste the time that God has given you. I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to waste one more minute of my life. He would write not like others. He would not write like the other writers. They said he would write as if his life depended on it. I've come to tell you that it's more than a social club. You ought to come to church like your life depends on it. You ought to worship like your life depends on it. You ought to praise like your life depends on it. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Somebody needs to hear me. You need to get to the place where living for God and coming to church is more than just a good idea, but it becomes your life. It becomes everything to you. We're going in the way of God is everything to you. Oh, lift your hand and say, God, don't let me go back. God, God, don't let me go back to that. God, you've quickened something in me in this revival. Don't let me go back. Don't let me revert back to fear. Don't let me revert. Let me redeem the time that I've got. Let me redeem the time that I've got. Let me redeem the time that I've got. What pushed, I don't know what time we get out of here. Huh? Okay. What pushed Dostoevsky to the point, what pushed him to that point was death on his heels. Today in this hour that we live, death is impossible for us to fathom. It's so immense, it's so frightening that we'll do almost anything to avoid thinking about it. Our very society is organized to make death invisible and to keep us several steps removed. That distance may seem necessary for our comfort, but it comes with a terrible price because it gives us an illusion of limitless time. You understand that when somebody we know dies, and we, 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 you know why people don't? prefer to go to funerals it's because that funeral is a constant reminder that death is coming for everybody and even the Bible says that life is but a vapor go to now you say that today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city. Today or tomorrow we'll go witness. Today or tomorrow we'll live for God. And we'll continue there a year. And we'll buy and we'll sell and we'll get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time. Then vanish it away. But the world would say you've got a lot of living to do. The spirit of the world would say, you're young and you can live it up and you only got, you know, YOLO, you only live once, so just do whatever you want. You can slow down when you're older. The world, you see, but the thing is the world has hidden the reality of life and death because there is, there is one thing, there is one thing that will come to us all. There's one thing and that is death. And I, for one, don't want to bury my head in the sand and pretend but I want to run headlong into my purpose. If I'm going to die today, if I'm going to die tomorrow, I don't want it to be a distant memory, but I want it to be something that pushes me toward the purpose of God. If today could be my last day, 
I want to know that I've tried with the best of my ability. If today is the day I take my last breath, I want to know that I've used it to glorify God and that I've used it to the best of my ability. Have I given it all that I have? Have I made the choices that I needed to make? I want to tell you that that day will come, whether it's in the rapture or whether it's in the grave. But I don't want to run from it. I want to run into it and say, God, if today's my last day, let me do more than I've ever done before. Let me reach harder and farther than I've ever done before. It is appointed unto man once to die. Our days are numbered. Why don't we do what we can do with the days that we have? tired of wasting away I want to live I want to live do you understand is everybody all right Do do you understand do you understand that there is only one thing that motivates hell that's it there's one catalyst that pushes hell and Satan to do what he does The Bible says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath or great passion, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. He knows his time is short, but he wants to convince you that you got forever. He knows that he only has a little bit of time. He knows that he's got to do what he, I'm telling you, he never takes a day off. He never relaxes. He never lets it, uh, one minute go by that he's not plotting and planning and fighting. He might not be fighting you every second, but he's fighting somewhere and he's fighting someone because he knows that he has a short time. But he tells you, you've got all your life. You've got tomorrow. Don't worry about it. You've got the next day. Don't worry. And the world is feeding into that. The world is feeding into that. Listen, you've been too careful. Hear me in the Holy Ghost. You've been too careful you've been too afraid but what you need to do is push yourself into the realm of eternity and say if I've only got a little bit of time I want to use it I want to make every day count I want to write fervently I want to do all I can do for God I want to give God everything I've got I don't want to waste one more minute of my life I want to give everything to him going to close in just a minute at the, the end of his life Doskovsky had kept his promise he had written an untold amount of short stories and novels 50 of which had been made into movies crime and punishment the possessed the double his quotes are innumerable one of his quotes says taking a new step and uttering a new word is what people fear the most He quotes saying, man only counts troubles, but he does not count his joys. I ask you as I go to a close, what things could you do or would you do if you didn't count on tomorrow all the time? Life's but a bait. You don't. And the apostle says that if you know the time, you will know that now is high time to wake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Hmm. I asked you, what, what, what would you do if you didn't count on tomorrow? How much more deeply would you love? Would you care more? Would you forgive more easily?
Would your words, words be kinder? Would your actions be softer? What would you do? Would you call that loved one and would you tell them what was on your heart? What would you do if you knew that your next minute wasn't promised? What would you do if you knew? Could you stand with me right now? Mason, if you want to play that, it would be great. What would you do? I, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. I want us to think about it. I'm going to close in a minute. What would you do if you, if you knew that there was only... Only a day, that's all I've got is the rest of this day. And I'm telling somebody right now in the Holy Ghost, I, I'm just feeling that God is trying to urge somebody. God is trying to urge somebody. <laughs> Come on. There is no promise of tomorrow. I wish there was. Someone needs to understand that today is the day of salvation. Today's that day, not, not tomorrow. It's December, five years back. <clears throat> My pastor's, pastor's wife, Lisa. Her father went out to start his car on a cold, cold day. Fifty-five years old, he never made it back into the house. His wife was waiting for the car to warm up. She thought he was in it. He was not. The pastor said at the funeral, as he preached, he said that Brother Dave, in one instant, he went from walking on that icy sidewalk, and his next step was on a street of gold. One step. One minute, one step, one second. One second, one second. One second. Today is the day of salvation. 35 years old, my father went to the hospital with a headache. Never came out. Life is a vapor. Huh. We were in the Philippines. We got a call on a man who's 39 years old with three kids. Had been coming to church back and forth. We got a call that he'd wrecked that morning. And died instantly. There is no promise of tomorrow. I'm not telling you this to, to scare. I'm just telling you the truth. Because the truth of the matter is, we see death as something that's far. The world wants to hide it from us. But the truth is, if there's one thing in life that is common and one thing in life that will happen, death is it. Dallas Martin was 18. It's a 40-year-old man in the church. He had come. The pastor said he had come, and he had come to the altar. He had repented one service. It was his first service there. He had repented. He had come to the altar, and he prayed. And He looked at the pastor and said, I, I love I'll be back. I will be back. I'll, I'll be back. I'll be back. And three days later, he's dead. My pastor said he prayed. He said, I was so angry. I was so upset. And I said, God, he come to the altar. He was going to come back to church. He was going to live for God. And he said the Holy Ghost stopped him and said, I gave him 40 years to make a decision. I 
gave him 40 years. How many years has he given you to make that decision? And if you knew that today was all that you had, if you knew that when you walked out of this building, you would never step foot back in it again, what choices would you make? Would you make that choice to come to an altar? Would you make that choice to pray like you've never prayed? Would you make that choice to touch God? Would you make the choice to be baptized in Jesus' name? Would you repent? Would you not leave here till you were filled with the Holy Ghost? I'm not saying that somebody's going to die. What I'm telling you is that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All we know, and all I know is that I've got right now, I've got right now. So I'm ending today with a simple question. What would you do with the remainder of this service if you knew you're never going to get another one? I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't know if I'm going to have another one. I know that on Wednesday night, God spoke to me clearly about what to preach. And on on Thursday night, he told me what to preach on Thursday and Friday and on Saturday. But he didn't tell me what to preach tonight. I don't have tonight. That's not promised to me. The only thing I have is this service right here. So I'm going to make the best of it that I can. And I would urge somebody today to redeem the time that you have. Don't leave any more time unredeemed. Don't leave another second without being at this altar. Don't have another second without coming and praying like you should. I just want you to know that you might not have another minute. You might not have another altar call. You might not be able to hear another song. You might not be able to hear another note on the piano. The next sound that you hear might be my voice telling you, you should have come, you should have come. But eternity has come. And now we have to live with the choices that we made. I'm telling you, the altar's open, but I shouldn't have to. There should be an urge of somebody to say, if this is my last time at an altar, I'm going to get there. If this is my last time, God, I'm not sure if it is, but it could be. And if this is my last time, I'm going to give everything that I've got. I've got some unredeemed time that I've wasted, God. I've got some commitments that I need to reassure. I've got some commitments that I need to make got some commitments that I need to make got some things I need to fix, God. I, come on, don't you leave here. I'm urging somebody in the Holy Ghost. I feel such a strong pull of God. I'm urging you don't leave here without being baptized. Don't leave here without praying. <laughs> don't leave here without repenting. Do whatever you can do. I'm just telling you the truth. Would you pour out your heart to God? What would you do? Would you tell him you were sorry for everything? What would you do? Would you, would you say, God, get me closer to you? What would you do? Would you say, God, help me to make the right? What would you do? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. What would you let go of? Come on. What things that you're holding? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.